Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 41, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. As always, I am joined by a quarterback one in our hearts and minds, even though he's a dirty, dirty Patriots fan. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Also, make sure that you're subscribed to the Pat's Pulpit feed. Mark, I wanted to, I gave you a compliment before this show, but I want to give you a compliment uh, during the show as well. If you haven't listened to Mark break down what happened in this Eagles-Patriots game, even though it's called the Glorious Victory Edition, uh, it, disgusting. It, you will learn a lot from Mark and about what happened in this game and, and get it from all angles and whatnot. Mark did a great job on that. But Mark, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well, buddy. It's always great to be with you. And we're here, episode 41 of the world's greatest Eagles quarterback podcast <laughs> that incorporates history into each episode. Yes, we are. Now look, just because we are the only Eagles quarterback podcast <laughs> that incorporates history into each episode does not make that statement any less true. But we'll get to the historical reference as always in a moment. But first, Mike, we need to give the shout out of all shout outs. BGN listeners are probably aware of Grace Men and Grace Men Design. Hmm. Now she created some branded for the Kiston Solak show and she came through with some branded for the QB Sco show this week as well. And it is just absolutely amazing. It's a whole schoolhouse rock theme with me looking like a scroll on the Capitol steps and Kiss looking almost resplendent as a Roman senator complete with the olive branch crown and a jug of what we can only assume is a bold red blend. So if you have not done so, please do follow her on Twitter at hello at Grace, M-I-N-D, the number one. Check out her, her and support her work. It is all just amazing. Big shout out. Oh, huge shout out. But now for the quick historical reference. And- Yet another book I'm slowly working through is The Longest Winter. I'm holding it up here for everybody watching on News Channel 8. Good book. Tells the story of World War II's most decorated platoon. This is the story of the Intelligence and Reconnaissance Platoon, 394th Infantry Regiment, 99th Infantry Division, and their experience at the Battle of the Bulge. Now, long story short, they formed the tip of the Allied defense against the German assault during the Battle of the Bulge, and they, while heavily outnumbered, repelled three German assaults over the first day of fighting. Only when they ran out of ammunition did they surrender, but not before killing hundreds of advancing German soldiers and defended a vital hill. Now, all of them survived their subsequent brutal ordeal in captivity and returned home. But I did want to read from that book this little segment talking about their experience prior to the Battle of the Bulge. And they're talking about December 1944. The platoon had now spent three days in its isolated position. We all felt that the position we had been put in was very dangerous one due to the small number of men and we had the terrain, recalled Corporal Sam Jenkins. Also, we did not have too many heavy weapons. Fellow Texan Carlos Fernandez had been on guard duty the night before, quote, How dark and eerie those nights were, standing in the cold, snowy night, staring towards all directions at once and hearing artillery reports to our left, getting so bug-eyed that I actually saw a tree move towards another tree and stand there together as if conversing. <laughs> Creepy Corner had also begun to spook others. Quote, an extended state of fear existed, recalled Book. Your imagination tried to run away with your eyes as you would stare at the form of a tree against the snow during the nights. Every once in a while, this tree would seem to move and suddenly attack you. The days and nights ran together. Only a new replacement could tell you the date or that it was Sunday or Tuesday. On moving into the position, Private Vic Adams had placed three grenades on sticks in front of his dugout and then attached pull wires. That night... He suddenly thought he saw Germans crossing the open field. He pulled a wire and instantly woke up the entire platoon. Now, Michael, on Sunday night, did mm. we see perhaps one or even two quarterbacks 
seen some things in the dark, scary night. It perhaps pulled that wire. I saw a lot of that. Saw a whole lot of that on yeah. both sides. A, a lot of double clutching, indecision, some erratic placement. To, I don't, you know, Romo kept talking about the wind. I don't know how much effect that had on things, but it definitely played somewhat of a role. Not an excuse for, for either of the quarterbacks. But of course, you know, Wentz hasn't built up the goodwill that Tom Brady has over his career. We can be like, eh, he'll get it right. He'll be there for the playoffs. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll do his thing. You know, you have that kind of confidence as you follow Tom Brady throughout his career and just the Patriots with Bill Belichick as well. So obviously the panic right now on the Eagles side of things is much higher than the panic or the, the, the worry in the forest and the, and seeing things in the night right. than, you know, than it is for the Patriots. Creatures. But let, let's talk about these two different performances. And I kind of sounded off on this with Wentz on the Kisten Solak show film review, which you can go check out if you haven't already. That was dropped yesterday. We are recording right after I recorded that. This will be dropping on a Thursday. There's really no other way to put it. You you can talk about receivers. You can talk about scheme. You can talk about a lot of different things. At the end of the day, Wentz did not have a good game. It was a bad game, one of his worst of the season. I put it like close to the to the Dallas game. He was he was pressing, trying to trying to see things that weren't there, not throwing things that were there. Just overall, I thought it was a messy performance from him. Some some pocket management issues where he took some sacks that that didn't need to happen. So, what was your takeaway from the game and Wentz's performance uh, uh, on Sunday? Yeah, I, I think you fairly summed it up. This was, I think, a game where, look, if you're sort of somebody in the pro-Wentz camp, you can point to some throws and some decisions and say, look, this this was a good read. The, the touchdown to Goddard, you know, yeah. and I put this up on Twitter and it was the and I even said this during the game. I tweeted it to you. That was the same route that we talked about in last week's show. It was the same route concept, the follow concept of the tight end dragging behind the receiver in front of him. And where Brian Baldinger said that, look, he should have thrown that follow route. We said, ah, maybe it was a good no throw decision. This time he showed absolutely no hesitation, sticks in that route for the touchdown. And so that's nice to see. So there's a check in the plus column, but there's a lot of checks in the negative problem. And you can point to the wind and say, look, it had an impact. And I think on some of the deeper balls down the field, there's something to be said for that. But before the pivotal play of the game, you had three short throws from mm-hmm. Wentz and he missed on all of them. Mm-hmm. And these weren't deep throws downfield. They yeah. were like stick routes. They were out routes. They were curl routes. Like he missed those badly. Yeah. Some of the pocket management stuff I think was okay. Like he had one play and I'm trying to find it in my notes right now, but it's, it was the check down and the little dump off to Ertz that wasn't designed to be a play to Ertz. Everything was going to the right side of the formation. And I love the way he handled the pocket on that play because he thinks he can evade to the right. Mm. And as he starts to evade, Kyle Van Noy, who's the edge defender, starts to spin away. And somehow Wentz has both the process and speed and then the athleticism to decipher that as Van Noy is spinning and then step up in the pocket and then find the check down. Because remember, that entire play, every route, it was just a two-receiver concept. You had an out and a deeper route. It was a vertical or a curl on the right sideline. Everything was to the right. So he needed to get right to make that work. But when Van Noy started to spin, he sees it, steps up, and then creates the little check down. I loved that. Now, the strip sack fumble situation before halftime, that's a different story. And I want to talk about Doug Peterson with you in a second because I might have a bit of an unpopular opinion for this show. But on that play, look, Wentz needs to be faster. And I know a lot of people have said he needs to take some check downs. This was a prime example of it because – he wants to throw to Ertz. I'm not sure if you watch that play. It's like the 234 mark of the second quarter. He's got Ertz lined up on the left. And I can't tell if Ertz is supposed to curl 
but he breaks to the outside. Wentz wants to throw to him, but as soon as Ertz starts to break to the outside, he brings himself behind Jawan Bentley, who's retreated into coverage. Yeah. So Wentz has to pull it down. And that's when he gets sacked. On this play, I think Wentz needs to know quicker that he's got man coverage. And if he can't go to Ertz, come to Sanders because he's working against Kyle Van Noy. He's got to step on him. There's a chance to make a play there. It's just second and six. You can check this one down and live for third and two or whatever. He pulls it down. He's slow here, doesn't handle the pocket well. And that's when he takes the sack. So I thought that was a bad play. Mm. And although it was a down day for Wentz, I think it's fair to say that. And look, I apparently am so, you know, biased pro Wentz here. <laughs> this is according to the takes. So, you know, even I'm saying that. So that should speak volumes. There was one play that I wanted to talk about with you where I, where I kind of made the case that Wentz and the trust between his receivers is not there and it's hurting Wentz. It's, and it's, again, like I said, you can talk about the receivers and why he shouldn't trust them at at the end of the day, he has to put the onus on them. And the, the play that I brought up to you in the DMs was first quarter, 417. Now, th- this is going to end up being a penalty on Danny Shelton, but that's not what I'm concerned with. Went scrambles on this play. So you've got play action, and what you have is a mesh concept, and Matthews is working over to the t- over the top, and he's going to find the soft spot. Now, during the game, I said that I thought it might be a good pull down from Wentz that I wanted to see the film before making a final judgment on it, and I asked you about this too because the cornerback on the opposite side of the field has open hips to Matthews, but he's kind of drifting away from him as J. Josh just gets freaking leveled on this one coming across the field. Oh, you just lit up. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, Hightower's like, no, you're not running across around, friends. <laughs> Take so that one away. He gets keistered, but be- behind him, Matthews comes open. Wentz is looking at him, and this was a problem throughout the game. Wentz starts to pull the trigger on this and then holsters it. But by that point, the play is that he's got to scramble around, uh, ends up being like a one-yard gain. And again, illegal use of the hands on Danny Shelton, which you know had no bearing on how the play bore out. But this is one case, and there were a few of these cases where Wentz double-clutched and didn't trust his receiver or what he saw and just didn't make the play. And and as much as we can talk about receivers not getting open, and there are plenty of cases of that, trust me, very good coverage by, by the Patriots, especially, you know, towards the middle portions of the game, they started to go to more cover two. And obviously this is a, a condensed offense right now and whatnot. And there was tight coverage and some windows that just really aren't there. But this is a case, and there were too many of them, where Wentz was not willing to pull the trigger with an open receiver. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you brought this up. And I, I knew ahead of time you were going to, because like you said, Friends, when Mike and I like chat about stuff, we chat about football plays. And so he'd like drop this in the DM. So I knew I was teed up for this one. And it allows me to make the point I alluded to earlier. You can criticize Doug Peterson for some of the play calling in this game. Look, that third and 10 where they went empty and ran basically slant flat with a clear out route from Sanders and he threw a slant to Matthews, like that was a bad call. Like I'm not a fan of that one. But I think Doug Peterson did a very good job at giving Carson Wentz information before the snap on a number of plays. And then the quarterback failed to execute because, like you said, this play is a mesh sit concept. We have got mesh underneath and Matthew's running this sort of sit down route and over the top of it to find space. Mm. There's motion pre-snap. And when you watch the defense, nobody moves. So Wentz knows before the ball is snapped, this is zone coverage. Yeah. And on mesh with a sit over the top of it, if you get zone, that's where you're going with the football. Mm-hmm. So Wentz needs to know what coverage it is. And he knows that thanks to the motion. And so he needs to pull the trigger here. I don't understand why he doesn't because you've got a linebacker, Jamie Collins, that is 
definitely out of position. He's not going to make a throw on the football. And the backside corner, J.C. Jackson, I think he's laughing at J.Jaw getting buried because <laughs> he opens to it a bit late. Yeah. There's a window to make this throw. And yes, you get the penalty, so it wipes everything out. And we're talking about what's technically a no play. But this is emblematic of some of the issues we're seeing from Wentz. He's seeing trees and thinking they're German soldiers right now. <laughs> and that is something that he can't do. And throughout this game, there are other are there examples of Wentz getting information pre-snap? You know, if you look at a second and six, the 746 mark, there's alignment pre-snap. So he knows what he's going to get from the coverage, what he's going to get from the defense. Is it a good no throw? I don't think so because he has the information available to him. You look at the play at the end of the game with Aguilar, right? Mm. It's the same situation. Thanks to the alignment and the motion, he knows pre-snap, it's a cover zero look. Why? Because yeah. you look at Jonathan Jones, a corner who is aligned deep, like 10 yards off, almost like a safety. The only reason he's there is because he's playing off coverage over the tight end. Mm -hmm. So he knows it's going to be some sort of man coverage, and he probably expects, due to a, a study of their tendencies, it's probably going to be a zero blitz. So Peterson gave him information, but he can only do so much. Sometimes it's up to the quarterback to execute. And on some of these plays, he just didn't. So a frustrating performance from Wentz overall. Looking towards the future, and I'd made this point with, with Ben, right now this offense it would be better off, in my opinion, with the way that the, the talent that they have, the dearth of talent they have at receiver, and, and the way that this offense is constructed. You're looking at more like a Rich Gannon type, you know, to, to, to run this type of offense. Maybe even like a, like a Brad Johnson, who played really well that year when the, you know, with the good Bucks defense, historically great Bucks defense. I don't want to put any slander on them. But you're looking at a quarterback that it, that is a you know, rhythm passer, West Coast style, hit and throw and whatnot. And Wentz has done a pretty good job within that structure throughout the season. We talked about it week by week. There were encouraging signs and whatnot. This game required some of that. And Wentz went into his, you know, I've got to be the savior type of mode. I think he's right now, I think he's a square peg in a round hole. And you're seeing some of those issues pop up with him because of that. This is a guy who, and I, and again, I said this to Ben, but you've got a horizontal offense and you've got a vertical quarterback, a quarterback that is very good in the intermediate to deep areas of the field and working those concepts. And his weaknesses are more in the shorter game. Would you, would you agree with that? Is there something to that or am I way off here? No, I would agree with that. And it's, extremely odd given where once was coming out of NDSU because the type of offense he was in in college was geared towards that short and intermediate area of the field. That yeah. was kind of his strength coming out. And I thought that an offense like this would be the ideal fit for him. He's just not running it well right now. And look, I think we have to give a little bit of context to this. They're going up against a very good defense and they're going up against yeah. Bill Belichick and he had two weeks to prepare for you. And you know, we thought we might see some Stephon Gilmore on Zach Ertz, for example, and they did a lot of that. They really sort of took Ertz away in this game. There were times even when it wasn't Gilmore, they would bracket him You know, on their opening drive, that third and eight where you know, Wentz looked to Matthews was working against Gilmore. You had a bracket with, you know, Devin McCourty and Jamie Collins on Zach Ertz. So yeah. they were really trying to take him away, particularly on money downs. But you kind of had to expect that going in. You know, if we on the outside, and we're all idiots, if we could see that was coming, then <laughs> Doug Peterson had to think it was coming. And so yeah. there's a, you know, a bit of credit that should go to the Patriots defense, but Wentz struggled in this game. And the struggles in the short and intermediate area, it's weird given what we talked about, like the Packers game, for example, yeah. when they had the execution in that area of the field. And maybe it's, you know, you had 
Alshon Jeffrey in the lineup, so that certainly helped a little bit. Mm-hmm. Wasn't thrown to a guy that they just signed off the street. You're going against the Packers defense, which while improved, it's not the Patriots defense. You're going up against a team that played last week, not a team coming off the bye. So there are things you can point to. But at the end of the day, look, Mike Freeman wrote on Wednesday that in his sort of 10-point column that there's a sort of a, a, a never-ending circle of hell right now, basically, because the receivers are starting to lose confidence in Wentz. And Wentz is losing confidence in his receivers. That's not a good situation. Mm-hmm. And the Eagles, in some sense, might have a bit of a Wentz problem. Now, I don't think it's – and he says that it's not a situation where you're going to move on from the guy – but there are some things you have to be concerned about. I think that's kind of where we are right now. Yeah, and I think we know what the offense can be with Wentz yeah. when there's the proper supporting cast around him. When there's not, I think we 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 know that some of the flaws in his game are going to be magnified because of that, especially because we talked about it coming into it. This might yeah. be a game where he presses, and he did. Yeah, at a bare minimum, though, he's not Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> right. So you get that going for yeah. you, Eagles fans, which is nice. So there's that. There's that. Mark, uh, let's quickly talk about Tom Brady's performance in this one, how much you thought it might have to do with the defense and how much it was just on Brady because 14 incompletions in the first half, I think record setting for him. How much did you think was on the defense? How much did you think was on Brady? Because I thought Brady as well played a poor game in this one. Yeah, no, I mean, Brady certainly didn't play well at all. Um, I, I do think a lot of it, is credit to the Eagles' defensive front. Look, they pressured him early. They pressured him often. They made him uncomfortable. Anybody that saw Brady post-game knew he wasn't happy. Mm. And I don't think he's happy still. Like I think he's angry right now, mostly at himself. But look, he, they're struggling to keep him protected. Marshall Newhouse at left tackle. Look, they signed the guy right before the season started. Right. So you can't really have high expectations for him. And he's struggled at times. They get Isaiah win back this week, so I think that will help. The defense, the defensive front from Philadelphia pressured him. They knocked him around. They got him off of his game. They got him rattled. He missed a lot of throws too, throws that he usually makes. It's odd to see him, you know, off of a bye week struggle this much. And it certainly allowed the, you know, Rob Parkers and Max Kellermans and, you know, everybody else, the Nick Wrights of the world to basically say, look, he, he's done. The cliff is here. We told you that. I mean, Nick Wright was basically saying, I don't think they can win three straight playoff games because he will be the worst quarterback in all three of those matches, which is an interesting statement to say the least. But Tom Brady did not play well. And there are concerns about the Patriots offense. And I hear them all the time on my show that people are, are worried about where the offense is right now. But as I say every single time. I was saying all of this after their Week 16 win against Buffalo last year. I said their passing game wasn't good enough to win a playoff game. They're not going to be able to go into Arrowhead and beat Kansas City. And clearly, I nailed that one. So <laughs> I think it's like you said, Mike, the, the two quarterbacks in this game, one will get the benefit of the doubt given what he's done at this point to his career, and the other one won't right now. And Brady will still get the benefit of the doubt. And I think for the most part, by and large, people, as this team gets down the stretch and into the playoffs, they'll think, look, Brady's still been there. He's done that. He's seen it all before. He can go out in here and give you one more game and one more series of throws and one more touchdown drive if you need it. And right now with Wentz, it's a bit more of a question mark. Yeah, I agree. And I've mentioned this before. We have not seen Wentz in the playoffs. And in some of the big games this year, he has struggled. So the the reaction to Wentz is going to be a lot more drastic than it is to Brady, and deservedly so. I completely understand that. Brady gets that credit as maybe the greatest of all time. So I'm sure Brady's going to be there in the playoffs looking freaking fantastic, unfortunately. He's a handsome man, too. Yeah. Jeez. Don't don't make me say more <laughs> nice things about Tom Brady. <laughs> I know. We've, we're, approaching, we're approaching that quota, so we got to stop now before yeah. Mike gets mad at me or madder. We, we're going to have some more good things about to say about a different quarterback when we come back from break here. We're going to be talking about Russell Wilson playing like an MVP for the Seattle Seahawks. That's next up on the docket for the Eagles and next up on the docket for the QB Sco Show. We'll be right back. 
Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on the QB Sco Show, episode 41, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. Michael Kist here with Mark Schofield. Mark, as we do every week, we have to preview the upcoming enemy opponent for the Philadelphia Eagles. And right now, it is a guy that is playing out of his ever-loving mind. I, I often talk about, you know, how many quarterbacks or the, the dearth of quarterbacks playing at a consistently elite level. I think Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, those guys definitely belong in that conversation, and that might be it. Russell Wilson is going to present a very unique challenge to the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, the Seahawks team is not blowing people out. They're dedicated to running the ball, but at the same time, when they need it, Russell always seems to be able to pull a rabbit out of his hat, and they're going to have to contain what is a fantastic and smart scrambling quarterback and is just capable of making every throw on the field without a problem. So, Mark, tell me about your thoughts on who I think is the MVP right now in the NFL, Russell Wilson. Yeah, and the, the way I think we should sort of start this discussion is, you know, every year people ask you, like, oh, who are the top five quarterbacks in the league or who are the best QBs playing right now? Or who's an elite quarterback? And I always try to frame that question as if you had to trust a quarterback to win a game to save your life, mm. like who are the guys you would trust? Mm -hmm. And going into the season, you know, the list included Russell Wilson. I think right now that list certainly includes Russell Wilson. And does he make mistakes? Yeah, that interception he threw in overtime against San Francisco yeah. was just awful. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was a bad throw, especially in that situation because I believe it came on a second and down. You're in the at the 14-yard line. Like at worst, you're kicking a field goal and putting it on your defense. It, it, that was a bad throw. Yeah. But at the same time, the guy finds ways to beat you no matter what you throw at him. The guy can make ridiculous throws from any platform no matter what you throw at him. And one of the things that I think is most impressive about Russell Wilson is for many quarterbacks, they rule stuff out as the play progresses. Russell Wilson never seems to rule anything out, mm. regardless of what is happening around him, regardless of how the situation is unfolding in the pocket or downfield, regardless of where he is on the field. You look at that Thursday night touchdown throw to lock into the back left corner of the end zone. <laughs> and I, what was it? Next Jed said that that had like a negative percentage chance of being completed, but he still thinks that's a viable option and he somehow makes it work. It, like, was, it was the best throw of the season that I've seen. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. You can't top that. I mean, seriously, you look at the numbers, it had like a 2% chance of being completed. And <laughs> most quarterbacks at that point roll into your left 
would have ruled that out. He's throwing across his body. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And so that's part of what makes him special. And for all the criticism that is levied at Brian Schottenheimer, and some of it is deservedly so. Like in this day and age, to consistently like rely on the run and 35 runs and whatever. Like he does do some creative things with him. They do do a lot in the boot action game, which certainly plays to his strengths as a passer and gets him to move around a little bit. They do some very interesting rub concepts. And in that realm, Tyler Lockett is fantastic. Mm. There was a rub concept, second quarter, third and three, 545 against San Francisco, where they it looks to be like a slant and a fade. And he's in the slot and he breaks to the outside. All he's doing is creating the rub for DK Metcalf. And you can tell he's a veteran wide receiver at this point because as he breaks to the outside, chops the feet, doesn't even come close to making contact with the corner, and then breaks vertically. It is such a veteran-savvy move. But they're doing things like that under Schottenheimer for DK Metcalf to get him going. Now, look, the guy can't change direction to save his life right now. I mean, did you see? <laughs> it was first and 10 at the 13-27 mark of the second quarter. They go play action, boot to the left, and they'll boot Wilson left or right. Doesn't matter because he throws so well on the move. They have a nice three-level stretch with a crosser to Metcalf, and he throws the crosser to Metcalf working underneath, and he just runs straight into the flat defender. He doesn't even take a step to try to get upfield. He just <laughs> runs straight into him. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> and I remember while that game was unfolded, I think it was Kevin Cole from PFF, and he tweeted out that video clip from one of the Austin Powers movies of him like on a golf cart in yeah. a tiny hallway trying to turn. I remember that night on Twitter thinking like, why is he tweeting this? And then I saw that play and I'm like, this has to have been the exact moment because <laughs> he runs right into him. But you know, back to Wilson, he's an incredible talent. He rules, keeps everything in. Every option is open to him. He's incredibly tough to get down. Even when you have him dead to rights in the pocket, he's going to find a way to escape. He presents an extreme challenge for any team that's going to be playing him. And you're right. He's certainly, if not the odds on favorite to be MVP. He's up there with Lamar Jackson and a couple of other quarterbacks whose names I won't mention here right now. Yeah, no matter who, uh, who you put in the discussion, he is in the discussion no matter how you order it. He's, he is right there with it. Mark, how would you say defenses might have success? at the Because we know he can break out of crazy situations. And how do you put him in those situations where those kinds of plays are required? Where, where, where would you say Wilson might have a weakness or what defenses can do to kind of slow him down just a little bit if there is anything? Well, one thing that is working for Philadelphia going into this game is Seattle's offensive line. Look, mm. at times they just seem to not have a prayer. I mean, there were times in that game against San Francisco where, especially the center, but a lot of guys were just getting dumped in Wilson's lap, like almost after the snap. And so if you look at how last week played out and the pressure that the Eagles front was able to get on Tom Brady, you can pressure Russell Wilson the same way, if not more, because this offensive line for Seattle is struggling. Now, the problem with that becomes it almost plays into what he does well. Because if you get that quick, it's the difference between Brady and Wilson as quarterbacks, right? Because if you pressure Tom Brady initially up the A-gap, dump the center in his pocket, he's not going anywhere. Like Tom Brady's not going to run around and make something happen. Like he's probably going to throw it away and get flagged for grounding like he does seemingly every single game. Russell Wilson, however, you pressure him initially, he can create outside of the pocket. It almost plays to his strengths as a quarterback. And if you want some examples of, look, quarter one, third and two, 703 mark against the 49ers. It's an empty gun. The center just gets dropped right in his lap and he has absolutely no chance. Like that's the kind of stuff you need to do. 
get home quickly against them, and you could do it against this offensive line. So just rush the passer. That's, yeah, that's, just that's, rush the passer. Like, just, yeah. I, I I know it, it's a simple game. <laughs> it's, okay, it's, it's yeah. You throw the ball, you catch the ball, <laughs> you hit the guy with the ball, and you rush the passer. And I know, look, it's a simple game. And Mike and I are just two hoople heads sitting here on a microphone <laughs> sometime on Wednesday afternoon, seemingly. And I don't know why getting paid for doing this yep. still boggles my mind, but yep. it's a simple game. Rush the passer, get after Russell Wilson. He might beat you a couple of times, but this is the best way to beat him. Because look, if you just let him run around and you don't pressure him, he's going to cut you up. Like he has that ability too. Yeah. You give him time and then he can find yeah. those options downfield and then he can continue to extend the play. I agree. It's just when right. you said it, I started to think of like that lazy argument of, Oh, you beat Tom Brady by pressuring him 40% of the time. Do it 39% right. you're screwed. 41% right. you're making money all day. Like that's like one play. Right. It's, yeah. it's like those, it's like those coaching clinic whiteboard situations. Like right. this is how I'm drawing it up. This is how we're beating cover two. And oh, by the way, my five receivers are all, all conference and all state receivers. Yep. I got that going for me too, which is nice. So. We're just going to call the offense where four guys beat five guys literally every time. And we should, yeah. we should, that's the play it. we're going to call. That's we're just going to run palms, right? <laughs> palms. Just run palms. <laughs> just run palms. We'll be fine. Any last thoughts before we get out of here? Words of encouragement, life advice, marriage advice, whatever you want to throw. I mean, my marriage isn't salvageable, probably at this point, <laughs> football season. I told you I found a random switchblade in the house. I'm sure that's not meant for me. No, <laughs> I, I told you this in the DMs. It's the weed lad Augustus's because we know how these institutionalized situations work, yeah. right? We've got kids at daycare. It's, it's just like, you know, any other sort of. We could say prison situation, right? Where yeah. the first day you you pick out the biggest guy, and you, you make him your, you know what? Yeah. And that's what the wee lad was doing with the switchblade. He just brought it home from daycare. I'm sure that's all it is, Mike. Our marriages <laughs> are absolutely fine. There's nothing to worry about in our personal lives at all whatsoever. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have a massive, massive Christmas list that I need to attend to because, yes, my marriage is completely fine. That's the main takeaway here. Our yeah. marriages are complete. That might be the episode yeah. title. Our marriages are fine. <laughs> At this point in the season, the wives have nothing to complain about whatsoever. Absolutely nothing. Can't wait to leave for a week to go to Mobile. Oh, yeah. That's during my anniversary. It's during my anniversary every year. Every year. Yeah. yeah. That's interestingly convenient. My, my poor wife. All right. Yeah. So that's going to – I got to get out of here and save my marriage. So we're just going to end the show on that. Look, if you liked what we did here, go leave five stars. Leave a funny review. So on and so forth because our families need to eat. And I need to get my wife off my back. I need to continue to make this cheddar. I need that dopamine rush too. So make it make it happen for me, gentle listeners. All right. We'll, we'll catch you next time. PGN.